This is Hashtag History, episode 111. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And welcome to season 12 of Hashtag History, everyone. We're here. Look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As tradition dictates, I, Leah... Mm -hmm. I'm taking over our first episode of the season. I didn't do this last season because I didn't have my shit together. I forgot about that. Yeah, we sprinkled you in mid-season, which was also cool. That's right. You need a little break from Rachel? Yeah. Nobody ever needs a break from Rachel. Stop it. Not true. (laughs) All right. So I'm the captain now. Hopefully I do not steer us astray. I trust you completely. Okay. So I am sure that many of you are aware that Halloween is just around the corner. Yes, it is. And boy, do I love this season. Me too. Yeah. Most holidays I've grown pretty ambivalent towards in my old age. (laughs) (laughs) But for some reason, Halloween, really the Halloween season more so than the actual day itself, still gets me pumped. Me too. I like that. I totally agree with that. Although I still love Christmas. Oh, yeah. But other than that, like, yeah, Halloween Mm -hmm. gets you in the the feels. Yeah. I get to watch Practical Magic. Oh drink hot ciders yes. and light candles yes. and be slightly more witchy than I normally am <laughs> with no strange looks from my husband. He totally understands. It's it's the reason for the season. <laughs> so it's all around a good time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Which brings us to today's topic, witches. Witches. Yes. And rather than diving into a specific accused witch or incident surrounding witches like we did uh, for our Salem Witch Trials episode way back in season four. Yeah. Speaking of old age. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I am diving into more of a broad overview topic. It's the idea that witches, as we know and picture them today, actually derive from depictions and stigmas surrounding early women beer brewers oh my god you've combined all my favorite things early female empowerment and witches yeah (laughs) my favorite (laughs) (laughs) i believe i first encountered this theory on a tiktok to Mm -hmm. be completely honest Mm -hmm. or perhaps it was like a stupid cracked article or something that i read a number of years ago and i have to admit in my opinion, mm-hmm. it holds a little bit away. Okay. And I just love the idea and it, it fits within the season. Totally. So today we will be discussing not only what early female brewers looked like, but also how depictions of them and the tools that they used eventually went on to be correlated with witchcraft. But first, as always, cocktail. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History, the podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike, where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Okay, so first and foremost, before we dive into what we are drinking this week, we do have to thank this week's cocktail sponsor. And actually, before we even do that, I would like to first explain the cocktail sponsorship program and our program. Our program, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's our it's our program, uh, and how you can be a part of it if you would like. I was recently talking with a friend that listens to the podcast, and he wasn't sure like why or how we thank people for sponsoring cocktails each episode so made me realize maybe we don't do a very good job of explaining it yeah in in more regular intervals yes (laughs) we need to do a better job let's clear this up let's clear this up (laughs) so a little over a year ago we started a 
for lack of a better word, cocktail sponsorship program <laughs> uh, in which listeners of the show can sponsor one, two, three, a thousand cocktails if yeah. they would like to support the show in that way. And by sponsoring a cocktail, you know, we always give you a shout out during a cocktail segment. And we also thank you on Instagram when we post a picture of that week's drink. We are so unbelievably honored and humbled by the fact that every single cocktail that we've had on this podcast has been sponsored since we announced this program over a year ago. I know. We cannot believe it and just feel so freaking lucky. So if you've been enjoying the show and would like to support it in a small but also really big way, (laughs) uh, you can either head to our website at hashtag history-pod.com and head to the support tab, or you can go to our Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast and click the link in our bio. Lovely. Now that I've shared all that. Yes. Onto this week's cocktail sponsor. Yes. So thank you so, so much to History with Hrothgar, who bought us a total of three cocktails. They said, I've been enjoying the podcast for a while now, so thought it was about time I finally show my appreciation. I know. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. So this week, because we will be discussing female brewers, I, of course, wanted to find some local beer brewed by women. Yeah. (gasps) No. Don't get, yeah. There there is none. There's literally none. Which Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. (laughs) And I'll get into a tiny bit here, too, but not much. Yeah. So I was unfortunately unable to find any that are locally brewed by women. So what I did was the next best thing, Mm -hmm. locally brewed beer honoring women oh good that works (laughs) yeah i'll take it so i got us a beer from our local oak park brewing company oak park brewing put out four beers earlier this year to celebrate black history month of which two honored women nice so the one that we're trying out this week it's a hazy ipa in honor of mary ellen pleasant Pleasant worked on the Underground Railroad. She was a big supporter of John Brown and the Harper's Ferry Raid. She won so many civil rights cases here in California that she's often referred to as the mother of human rights in California. Oh, wow. And is considered to be the first African-American self-made millionaire. And now this is where we derail the whole episode to just talk about her. Am okay. I right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I hope that's you, so interesting. I hope you didn't do too much research because <laughs> uh, I'm fascinated. Totally. Right. So let's try this beer first, and then I'm going to touch a little bit on local female brewers. Mm, it smells good, though. It's definitely hoppy, and uh, I mean, anyone that's been listening to the podcast knows... We prefer sours, or I prefer sours. Oh, okay, yeah. we prefer sours. It's an IPA, but it's actually quite. Um, and I'm not like an, a beer aficionado yeah, or something, neither. but it's quite mild. Like it's definitely smells super hoppy, but when I take a drink of it, it doesn't have mm-hmm. that super bitter aftertaste that taste, I don't yeah, like, which happens with IPA sometimes. But hazies are better. It's, again, we're not beer aficionados. I don't know what the word is. Beer hipsters. Yeah. So is it even fair for us to give a ranking? <laughs> Okay, if our, let's rank it on beer, like okay. just beers. Which includes sours. Which includes sours. Um, I'm going to give it a six. Me too. Six sounds fair. It's good. Yeah. it's And I love that it's... Have you ever been to the Oak Park? No. Oh, it's really I, cool. I, I've only been there once. Mm-hmm. We went there a while back and they had really good like loaded tater tots. Oh, you just sold me. <laughs> you just sold me. So... <laughs> Just to kind of go back really quickly before we dive into the episode, I wanted to share again, you know, just how bummed I was with 
the difficulty that I had in finding local female brewers. Yeah. Um, so I did go on a hunt and I got connected with the Pink Boot Society of Sacramento. Have you heard of them before? No. Okay. So I was doing some digging and I ended up talking with someone from Pink Boot Society. They, the, the Sacramento one, they're a local chapter of the Pink Boot Society mm-hmm. whose mission is to quote, assist, inspire, and encourage women and or non-binary individuals in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry to advance their careers through education, unquote. Wow. So if you're local and you're interested in and or already a part of the alcohol industry and would like to surround yourself with other women in the industry, be sure to reach out to Pink Boots. Oh my gosh. Cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, with that, I'm going to hand it off to you. Lovely. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Now, before I get too far into this episode, I do have to state that this idea, this theory that we're Mm -hmm. about to embark on isn't a 100% like accepted theory across the board amongst historians. In fact, I found several articles arguing that some of the info I'll be sharing, while not like 100% untrue, might be a misinterpretation or really an oversimplification of the truth. Okay. So I'll try to call out some of these arguments throughout the episode as we walk through it, just to be as transparent as possible. But this prompts me to say something, which is something I feel like we've said in on a couple of episodes Mm -hmm. in the past. It's that history is not a perfect science. No. Um, It isn't like math where two plus two equals five. Wait, what? That beer's already hit you. Yeah, uh, it ha- it has to be interpreted by imperfect, biased human beings. So just keep that in mind while I walk us through this very fun, very Halloweeny themed theory. Okay, I love this. This is great. Okay, I know we have a full blown beer brewing revival on our hands right now, especially in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. I mean, in our hometown alone, I can name ten plus local breweries for and, sure, and that's just the ones that I'm aware of. There are absolutely more. Yeah, we have so many local breweries. Oh my God. Yeah, I encourage everyone to check out their local breweries because they're awesome. They are. They're such a great place. Like even if you're not into beer or even drinking. Most of them have like very... Ciders. Ciders or like very interesting. Um, I love Tilted Mash because they have those like smoothie type (sighs) ones. Oh, they're so good. They're so good. But even if you don't drink, like breweries are such a fun place to bring a book. And they hang out. They have great food. A lot of the time. Yeah. yeah love this okay god this makes me want to go to a brewery wow <laughs> afterwards mm-hmm. <laughs> but beer isn't new right mm-hmm. don't tell the hipsters who think they invented it no, I, I won't say a word <laughs> <laughs> we humans have been consuming and brewing beer or something close to it for thousands of years mm-hmm. evidence of brewing can be traced back as far as the fifth millennium bce in iran and was even referenced in the epic of gilgamesh oh which is the oldest work of literature known to us today uh-huh. It's believed that brewing was an exclusively female-driven industry up until the rise of the Roman Empire when some sneaky little men tried to sneak in in Egypt and, and upheave everything, but it was still primarily a female industry. Fascinating. In fact, it was so connected to women throughout history and around the world that in many cultures, the deities and gods of brewing were in fact female and they were often also associated with fertility, such as the Mesopotamian goddess of beer and brewing, Ninkasi. I think that she needs to be our new mascot yes, for the podcast. Totally. <laughs> and and I apologize. There's a few things coming up here, including that name I just said that I may be pronouncing wrong. So please, mm-hmm. if, if I do pronounce it wrong, correct me. And totally. I would appreciate that. Yeah. So as early as 1600 BCE, Mayan civilizations were using cacao beans to produce beer long before it was used to make the non-alcoholic cocoa that we know and love today. 
women of Native American societies in North America, including the Apache and the Pima, brewed a cactus beer or wine called Tiswin for Mm. rituals. Apache women also produced a product made from corn, which was similar to Mexican beers, known as tulpi or tulapa, which was used in girls' puberty rituals. Mm. Aboriginal women in modern-day Australia were responsible for preparing alcoholic beverages from flower nectar mixed with honey ants to ferment it. Even in Viking society, brewing ale, mead, wine, and other fermented beverages was just one of the many household chores bestowed upon women. My mind is blown. Yeah. What? It's so funny. It it goes against beer is very much thought of as a masculine definitely male industry. For sure. Male serving industry. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's just interesting that it, it, across history it was a woman's business. And what's funny is now when you said it like that, it kind of goes toward outdated generally accepted gender roles of women in the kitchen women we're gonna are we really yeah but it does go perfectly to that like oh why didn't i think that of course yeah brewing beer would be a woman's job because she's in the house she's yeah. working with the food she's in the kitchen girl okay get wow. ready but but i wow my mind is blown because like you said I, I like the way that you phrased it it's not necessarily i mean it is a male dominated industry but it's also a male serving, serving industry One or that's the perception of it. Definitely. And, and and again, at the end of this episode, we will talk about how that's shifting a bit. Okay. But yeah, I mean, throughout the last century, it's yeah. been a male serving industry. For sure. Women don't like beer. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As we mentioned back in our second ever episode on the lost colony of Roanoke, Mm. fermented beverages were much safer to drink than water at the time due to sanitation issues with available water. And I'll just leave it at that in case you're uh, like a little queasy or you have a sensitive (laughs) stomach. But just imagine a late dark evening and mistaking the bedpan with the water bucket and you're probably pretty close to the reality that was public health before (laughs) plumbing. (laughs) But I won't say anything. No, no, no. no. Not to give a detailed description whatsoever. Thank you for that. Thanks for skimming on the details there. Great. No problem. (laughs) So because these brewed items were sought after, even more so than water, they were popular. Mm -hmm. I know they're popular in today's society, but imagine everyone from your grandma to your toddler not having access to clean water, Mm -hmm. and you might have an inkling as to just how popular they were throughout history. Mm -hmm. And because women essentially cornered the market on brewing them in most societies, with recipes being passed down from mother to daughter (sighs) and intermingled with other domestic tasks, what started as a household chore turned for some into a pretty lucrative side hustle wow yeah so just a hop skip and a jump later (laughs) we're now in medieval europe Mm -hmm. uh this tradition of brewing being a part of your you know household tasks it continued and female brewers became known as alewives or brewsters I'll be using these terms interchangeably moving forward. So sorry if that's confusing, but I didn't know which one to use. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So these women would often take their extra brew to the market or sell it out of their homes and make some extra cash. According to Judith M. Bennett, the author of Ale, Beer, and Brewsters in England, Women's Work in a Changing World, 1300 to 1600. (laughs) What I was thinking, I mean, other than long-winded, was also, is that our next book club book? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In English villages, nearly a third of the female population brewed ale for profit. My mind is blown. Yeah. 
Did you know that Elvis once showed up to the White House high as a kite with a bunch of guns? Did you know that Eleanor Roosevelt once had a romantic relationship with a lesbian reporter? Hi, we're Stephanie. And Tux. From Beyond Reproach, a comedic history podcast where we talk about political scandals like how FDR's grandfather made the family fortune smuggling dope. And messy government officials like President Johnson, who named his dick Jumbo and would wave it around at people on Capitol Hill. Gross. <laughs> and we do it all while drinking period-appropriate historic cocktails, like JFK's favorite, the lime. Daiquiri. We are not historians. We're just a couple of drunks who never shut up and love history. We hope you'll join us on Beyond Reproach for some big facts, good laughs, a little bit of swearing, a lot of drinking, and a real good time. You can find Beyond Reproach wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. With literally every other woman at this time being a brewer, as you might imagine, competition became pretty stiff mm-hmm. and alewives had to get creative with how they identified themselves. So here is where a lot of the quote, witchy elements mm-hmm. came into play. And before I move on, first, Rachel, I want you to describe to me like the depiction of a witch. Like, what do you picture when I say witch? Um, Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, tall hat, of okay. course, tall pointy hat. Got it. Cauldron. Mm-hmm. Broomstick. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm on it. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> I love it. I passed, I passed the test. You passed the test okay. because a lot of the, all of the things you just attributed to being a witch or like things that make us think of witch, yeah. which is um, have some striking similarities to okay. the garb and tools of Brewsters and Alewives. Uh, large pointy hats, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. were allegedly a common wardrobe choice for Brewsters, according to some. Okay. It's said that they wore them so that they could easily be spotted and identified while walking through a marketplace. Yeah. Now, this is a big point of contention amongst historians. Like I was saying earlier in the episode, some argue that pointed hats didn't really become associated with witches until the 1800s when pointy hats just became more popular in general. Okay. Regardless of the time period, though, there are historical artifacts supporting the idea that alewives wore tall pointy-ish hats. Uh-huh. For example, Rachel, can mm-hmm. you describe this photo of a 17th century engraving by David Logan depicting a well-known alewife called Mother Lewis from Oxford? Okay. Um, I mean, she has a tall hat on, but it's not the tall pointy hat that I associate with the witch. Right. It's, it's, it has a little bit more of a flat top on it, but it's still tall. Yeah. And still has like an angular look to it. Mm-hmm. And she does appear to be maybe holding beer. Or coffee? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and forgive me, I don't know if it's Mother Lewis or Lois, but this is like a very infamous woman from Oxford Mm -hmm. um, in the 17th century who was known, she was a known alewife. Like, they know she was an alewife. So she was, that is beer in her hand. And yeah, she has a taller pointed hat. It might just be that tall pointy hats were growing in popularity into the 17th century. Um, And so there's kind of like a cross wiring between witches and pointy hats and whether that just be the normal garb of the time. Yeah. I do just want to say the, the, the this is the first thing that came to my mind being a uh, Disneyland gal that the first thing that came to my mind when he said, you know, they would wear these tall hats to be spotted in the market. It's yeah. like those parents that tie a balloon to their kid for when sure. Disneyland. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was just the first thing I thought of. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. You also mentioned broomsticks. I did. 
or rather ale sticks or ale steaks resembling broomsticks, mm. they were known to have been placed outside of alewives' houses as sort of a symbol or sign that they had extra brew available for sale. Mm. This is thought to be a holdover from Roman tradition of business owners putting out symbols of what they were selling outside of their homes or establishments to make it clear to their patrons. Signage wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> Didn't have neon signs then. Yeah, no font choices were available. <laughs> For those wondering, ale steaks were wooden poles with a bush of barley tied mm. to the top and kind of resemble broomsticks. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, I would agree with that. Also, that's not how I imagined it being stuck out of the house. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, what? It's literally a, it was a ale stick sticking out the front, like horizontally to the ground. Out of the house. <laughs> so I was funny. imagining just like casually leaning against the house um but that 100% looks like a broomstick yeah yeah one argument against this particular idea I found said that broomsticks were just one of many items often associated with flying witches throughout history with other common depictions of witches describing them riding animals Mm -hmm. tridents pitchforks and all manner of items through the night sky totally valid argument yeah but I also don't think it negates the correlation alewives and other brew houses throughout history did display ale sticks or ale steaks outside of their houses which look mighty similar to broomsticks which have evolved into a symbol for witches yeah some other common symbols we associate with witches were common tools of the alewives you mentioned a cauldron uh-huh. for example um cauldrons were a necessary tool for well brewing ale and <laughs> yeah. mead and all other manner of food and drink mm-hmm. you can't brew stuff and serve said stuff without a large pot to do so in certainly It also didn't help that alewives had extensive knowledge of how herbs and plants could mix well together in said cauldrons to provide nourishment and, quote, healing to the drinker, even further blurring the lines between brewing and something a little more mystical. Mm -hmm. Cats were also often kept in most houses to deter mice and vermins from getting into the house, but even more so into the grain stores of alewives. Wow. Yeah. So... What changed? Mm -hmm. Why did the tools and symbols of the very common alewife, which let's remember made up roughly a third of the female European population at one time, get crosswired with witchcraft? There are multiple contributing factors and theories. The first being the introduction of hops to brewing and the changes in the market that followed. So here's a little history of hops. (laughs) I'm ready, actually. I'm really excited. Okay. Hops are the flowers or seeds of the hop plant, Humulus lupulus. That sounds like a Harry Potter spell. (laughs) (laughs) It does. (laughs) The spell and like a beer appears. A butter beer. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. 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 Hops are used primarily as bittering, flavoring, and most importantly to our story, stabilizing agents in beer. Mm -hmm. Often adding a bitter flavor to beer that I could personally do without, if I'm being super honest. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why we enjoyed this one more, because it's not not too bad. Yeah. So prior to the introduction of hops, ales were made with simple ingredients, usually water, malt, yeast, honey, you know, different things. The shelf life was short and they were often, quote, unstable brews. Mm. Hops were cultivated as far back as 736 CE, but they didn't really grow in popularity as an ingredient in ale or what would eventually be called beer until about the 16th and 17th century. There's a lot more on the history of hops, but I will leave it at that with the addition of this little tidbit I learned in my research. Mm -hmm. The term beer was actually originally associated exclusively with ales that utilized hops, but eventually became sort of like a blanket term for 
all ales. So like a cider, yeah. we, we you know, we might call a cider a beer or we might call yeah. like a, a sour a beer. Uh-huh. Even though it doesn't, doesn't have pops. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate that information. I'm going to use it to sound like a hipster going forward. Yeah, call, <laughs> call them ale from now on. Yeah, and I am offended if you would refer to it as a beer. Right. For sure. <laughs> so hops were a new market and grew in popularity as an ingredient in ale due to it increasing the stability and the shelf life of ales when it was used. Hops became quite expensive because of this and therefore less easy for the average alewife to come by. Because of this, brewing became more and more a man's industry mm. as business men had the money required to invest into the crop and brewing manufacturing on a larger scale. Household brewsters couldn't compete. Yeah. If you don't have the the means and the resources. Yeah. Some historians say that this is where the cross wiring took place. They argue that in an effort to run what was essentially like the OG smear campaign, <laughs> beer business owners would start rumors saying alewives brews were unstable and unreliable and well, poisonous. <laughs> whether it be on purpose or not. They would paint alewives as untrustworthy, mm-hmm. and this belief just kind of grew and morphed into associating alewives with evil doing in general. Yeah. This, again, is argued against by some other sure. historians who say there was no like nefarious smear campaign against alewives, but instead just a natural transition in the industry. Yeah, I can see that, too. They say alewives couldn't keep up with the growing beer business, and so they just disappeared over time. Mm-hmm. As the industry became more commercialized, more regulations and laws and oversight came into play, like what ingredients could be used, hops, yeah, what time of day you could brew, oh. and so on. With the enactment of standards of quality for beer in the 1500s, the oldest food purity laws we know of, wow. Brewsters struggled to compete. Yeah, I think both of those arguments make sense. It, both the natural transition of just no longer having the means and resources, yeah. but I also can see if someone got a bad batch of beer mm-hmm. shifting a narrative that you yeah. know women are in, are either intentionally putting out bad poisonous beer or they're just not reliable untrustworthy people yeah it, it could be a mix of mix totally. of both totally <laughs> the other factor at play here was the shift of the view on women and their place in society in general and that's what i was gonna say <laughs> I, I i stopped myself from saying that that one of those arguments holds weight in that there was a shift yes. in the reliability and trustworthiness of women mm-hmm. at this and capability of women at this time. Totally. So the Reformation, uh, which is a fundamentalist religious movement, which originated in the early 16th century, preached stricter gender norms. Under this movement, working women were thought to be dangerous, promiscuous, even evil. Yeah. So it was common practice to accuse women who didn't necessarily fit the gender norm construct of a woman, a.k.a. a submissive wife, to be (sighs) accused of witchcraft. Most people didn't actually believe that alewives and other working women were witches, but instead used this narrative to further their cause. They were convinced that women shouldn't spend their time outside of rearing families and tending to household duties. As an example of this, in the 1500s, some towns, such as Chester, England, actually made it illegal for women between the ages of 14 and 40 to oh. sell beer. Which, I mean, <laughs> to be fair... Uh, it's a wide range. Well, and I was going to say 40 is the lifespan yeah. <laughs> in, in the 1500s, totally. right? Like, yeah. So from the time you can like speak and do things on your own to the time you die, yeah. 
you're not allowed to do anything outside of like making soup. Yeah. And there were multiple other examples of this. Like I I mentioned certain times you couldn't brew mm-hmm. beer at night or something. And so these women had all these household chores they did through the day. And then by the time they could get to the brewing of the beer, they, they weren't allowed to do it anymore. Wow. Yeah. So the narrative of witchcraft and women who worked, a.k.a. alewives and brewsters, became somewhat intermingled. Mm -hmm. Brewsters, especially those who were not married, likely stopped their brewing businesses in an effort to placate changing expectations of women and assure they were not accused of witchcraft. This trend continued and what was once an industry where women not only thrived but really dominated shifted to one where women up until very recently were in fact shunned slowly but surely women are staking their claim in the beer industry but it isn't going to magically happen all at once no no pun intended (laughs) i like that um but no i mean speak to just how difficult it was for me to find a, yeah, a woman brewer in for Sacramento. sure <laughs> for sure which i know that there has to be but I, their beers aren't sold at total wine yeah according to a 2020 ap article which we will link in our citations the top 10 beer companies in the world are headed by male ceos mm-hmm. and have mostly male board members color me surprised a stanford university study found that only four percent of craft beer breweries employ a female brewmaster Ooh. And only 17% of these companies have a female CEO. I am shocked and not shocked at the same time. Yeah. It's super common for beer companies to portray beer as a masculine drink in their marketing, even to this day. But some companies are taking note of changing expectations and changing the narrative, which I love. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, Heineken dropped an ad in 2020 challenging this norm. And I think I was hoping we could watch it and then maybe you could just quickly describe it. Definitely. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I kind of have goosebumps. I loved it. So I will quickly describe what we just watched. And then I'll tell you all my thoughts about it. Uh, To quickly describe it multiple times over and over at this like busy bar, the bartender hands the woman the the fruity fancy cocktail and hands the Heineken bottle to the, the male person. Yeah. And over and over, they they just all like look at each other like, uh, you got it wrong. And they switch their cocktails. Yeah, so or, the or guys drinking drink the cocktails, or, yes. the girls drinking the Heineken. Okay, so I loved that. Yeah. Even all the way down to the very end where he attempts to, the waiter gives the woman the salad and the man the burger, which... Yeah. Uh, it's just like, outrageous. Me, no. <laughs> that is outrageous. Um, what I love about that is... And I was going to say this, and then they did it. At the very end, there was text that went across the screen that Mm -hmm. said, men drink cocktails too. I love that they said that because what what I was thinking the whole time was not women also drink beer. It was men like cocktails also, and that's okay. Like, it's not just changing the narrative of, like, women don't drink beer. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's that men also like Manhattans and mojitos and margaritas. And I love that that's actually what they more so focused on, even Mm -hmm. though it's, of course, like a female empowerment. And it's a Heineken ad, so obviously. So it's about the beer. Yeah. But I like that the the line that they used was men Men drink cocktails. Men drink cocktails, too. I love that because gender norms hurt not just women. They hurt both of us. Totally. Men and women. Totally. So I love that, right? Yeah. That was so great. (laughs) So this Halloween, I encourage all beer lovers to raise one in the air mm. for the witchy women in their lives, and more importantly, to the alewives and the brewsters throughout history, whose contribution to the brewing industry made that beer in your hands possible. Oh, cheers to cheers. that. I love that. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs>
so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share pictures that we discussed in the episode to our Instagram. I will also include um, a link to that Heineken ad that we watched because that was super cool. Yeah. And then all sources used to put together this episode, as always, can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast and on TikTok at (laughs) hashtag history, all one word. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. Share about us with your family and friends and then give us a rate and review. And we would love it if you joined us on Patreon, where for only $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. Uh, If you do that, you get access to some behind the scenes content. We put out weekly hashtag hangout episodes during our regular seasons. And uh, you also get an automatic 15% off all merchandise. And we mail you cards and stickers. Nice. Yeah, pretty great deal, if you ask me. For a (laughs) dollar, I mean, hey. What? Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Three, two, one, record. Three, two, one, clap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, me. This is Hashtag History, episode 112. I'm Rachel. Nope. What is happening already? (laughs) Unbelievably, unbelievably. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't forget to take a picture. I did. Oh, you did. I did. The one, the nice one. Oh, duh. Sorry. How much have you had to drink already? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just still catching up from the concert a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> me? No, me. Oh. Like, yeah, you have snot like all over I was your like, face. oh, f- <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay, that's weird now that you mentioned it. I yeah. It's not. It might be the cat hair too. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Anyways, um, most people. Clink. <laughs> <laughs> Clink. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I loved that so much. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so oh, much. Wait. Oh, oh, sorry. Remember, oh, we, that's right. we switched. Come on, girl. I'm purple. Yeah. <laughs>